2: This is the Black Information Network Daily Podcast, and I am your host, Ramses Jha. And sometimes the amount of stories that make their way to us means that we simply can't cover everything that comes our way. But from time to time, a story just stays with me, and I feel compelled to share it with you and give you my thoughts. And now, one more thing. So many of you know who have been longtime listeners of this show
3: that I have highlighted as often as I feel
2: makes sense and contributes some form of understanding and positivity to the narrative, uh, the
3: war in Gaza. Specifically, the Israel-Hamas War. Um,
2: I know some people don't like to call it a war, but um, that is
3: what it is known as. And just a quick recap. When I originally
2: uh, covered this story, I had a friend of mine named Ami Horwitz on the show. And Ami is a Jewish man conservative man and he is a journalist and you know I've said this on the show before I don't agree with everything that Ami says certainly don't agree with everything he believes um, but I do believe that he is a good human being and he's doing his best based on his sensibilities and the way he understands the world and I feel that through friendship and continued dialogue with him, we can share (laughs) uh, in each other's perspectives. And my hope, of course, is that he will gain a bit more understanding and a bit more empathy. Um, My belief is that he has more blind spots than I do. Um, I've had to conform to a world that is optimized for a man like him, a white-skinned, man living in america and he has not had to conform to live in a world optimized for me and so um i believe that i have just a bit more perspective to add to his 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 story his journey however um in covering this uh this war i've also brought up some people who were palestinian on the show um Suzanne Aslam specifically, and uh, Resistance is Beautiful, uh, are two that we've had on this show. And
3: since then, um, I've had to balance (laughs) my reporting on what's going on over there because
2: it has caused a shift in how people view politics here nationally in the U.S. And these are things that are relevant to you, our listener, and they're relevant to
3: this show, and they're relevant to my other show, Civic Cipher. However, there are a lot of people who are
2: very sensitive to what it is that you say when covering this, And how you posture your language and your your position um, on social media, on your platforms, even in your personal life. And this is something that has been very significant to me because you may not know this, so I'll share it with you. Um, I grew up with a lot of Jewish people and and I find that a lot of the pushback in covering
3: the more atrocious facets, this conflict um,
2: is upsetting the sensibilities of some Jewish people, not all. There's a lot of Jewish people who say, tell the whole truth, ask all the questions. Uh, Wrong is wrong, right is right. And there are some Jewish people where any critiques of the nation state of Israel uh, has been In their language,
3: um, a form of anti-Semitism, which I've had a hard time reconciling. Now, having grown up with Jewish people, spending
2: a lot of time with Jewish people, falling in love with the faith, being welcomed into the homes of Jewish people, indeed, I don't eat pork because a friend of mine named Joel and another friend of mine named Ari Block,
3: rest in peace, um, once told me that having pork at a table would cause a
2: Jewish person to consider the table unclean and therefore it would be impossible for them to share a meal with you. And at 14 years old, I cut pork out of my diet and I haven't eaten pork since and I'm 41 years old. And every time I'm offered a hot dog, I have to ask what's in it. And every time there's bacon on the breakfast plate, um, I have to send it back. And every single time in my life that that's happened since age 14, it's made me think of that moment and the why, that I always wanted to be able to share a meal. And so in my personal life, I'm sort of an always-never type of person. I felt like if I never eat this type of food, then I will never have to worry about not being able to share a meal with my Jewish brothers and sisters. And as it turns out, Muslim people feel the same way. And I learned that later, but an added bonus, because I live this life as though all men are my brothers and all women are
3: my sisters. But, you know, as I mentioned before, wrong is wrong and right
2: is right. And having conversations with Jewish people, having conversations with Palestinian people, Muslim people, um, there's always the potential to have a little bit of bias in the conversation. And so today I have a dear friend of mine. Who is on the show, who is neither Jewish nor Muslim nor Christian. Um, you know, I'm not going to state her brief for her, but suffice it to say, I, and I, and I think that she would first and foremost identify as a human being, um, who is unbiased with respect to religion, yet very and deeply respectful. Of religion. Uh, She's been on the show before, but Leanna, Taylor, welcome back to the show.
4: Thanks for having me.
2: Um, And the reason that I wanted to have this conversation today is because
3: I put up a social media post that I felt very unsure about.
2: And the post had to do with the prime minister of israel
3: saying some some more wild stuff and even though i've covered this topic i
2: have because i'm conscientious of the sensibilities of the people who espouse the views of israel um I have not wanted to hurt anybody. I have not wanted to offend anybody. And in trying to (laughs) avoid hurting people, one of the things that I learned very early on is that
3: when people say from the river to the sea that they are being anti-Semitic. And the Prime Minister of Israel,
2: this is, it was a, a post from NPR, and they had the translation from, I believe it was I-24, I-news-24, something like that, the Israeli state news channel. Their literal translation was him saying that Israel must control Palestine from the river to the sea. And it was the most confusing moment, because if that's such a hurtful thing, why would he say it? And why would he say it that way? And have I been
3: tricked into, have we all been tricked into being more reserved, more cautious, while human beings have been obliterated than what is really necessary? And so
2: I reached out to you um, to get your thoughts, and I... I first off, I'll say, I appreciate you being a, a safe space for me to come, um because this job, as you can imagine, becomes overwhelming. I have to watch human beings die. Mm-hmm. a lot of them look like me, a lot of them don't, but it doesn't matter if they look like me or not because they're human beings, and truly is, is pain something. yeah, and I'm just not a fan of death um but
3: I want to start our conversation. It hasn't started yet? Well, I've just been kind
2: of bringing people <laughs> up to speed. Sorry. But I want to start our conversation really where. Um, What, what were your thoughts when you first heard
3: him say that? Um,
4: you know, there's so much to unpack there. And there's so much to unpack even with just the intro, which is, You're right. You know, I was not raised Jewish, nor was I raised Muslim, nor am I Middle Eastern or a directly impacted person. Um, I was raised Buddhist. I was raised to believe that life matters. I was raised to believe that those lives are equal. And that is not just for human beings, but for animals and, you know, the creatures that we share our earth with. And what we're seeing with our own eyeballs is truly horrific. The degree of suffering and pain that is being inflicted upon a singular group of people is like nothing that I've ever seen with my own two eyeballs, that's being broadcast by the people who are there. Like you, I did, though, grow up with a lot of Jewish people and, in fact, went to Jewish Camp, which was a Zionist Jewish camp. Uh, they talked a lot about the nation state of Israel and that being, you know, the, the sacred land and uh, Jewish birthright. So I respect, um, where people are coming from with that. And and while, again, I, I don't, I'm not directly impacted. I was raised with an awareness of this. I was also raised by a mom who took me to my very first protest when I was, I'm guessing, right around seven years old. And it was against the South African apartheid. And the visuals that we were seeing, they look awfully familiar to what we're seeing right now. So through an unbiased lens, just looking at what we're seeing, there are some really problematic uh, dynamics that didn't start on October seventh,
3: right? This is deep. This is old. Um, and the short answer
4: to your question of were we tricked? I think the answer is yes to a degree, right? There's a real um shutting down of dialogue in this situation that we're watching uh unfold and you know in 2020 people were chanting in the streets that silence is violence and yet here we are feeling so silenced that we can't talk about the things that we're seeing and what we're feeling because we're so worried that the language that we're using is going to
3: be called anti-Semitic. And then to have that followed by those
4: words being now used and weaponized against the Palestinian people, right? It's legitimate to have questions. Why is it okay for one person or one group of people to say this and it's not? a call to genocide. And yet when another group of people uses the same language, it is. We have to question why the conversation is being shut down. Why do people not want to talk about this? I'm so suspicious when people aren't willing to engage in dialogue and see the gray that lives in the middle of everything. Any black or white situation, um, both ends of that are usually incorrect, right? The truth typically lies in the middle. So the silence piece is really problematic. And I understand the fear because we are not all as educated as we should be on this conflict that has gone back 75 years. We're not as educated on the fates that go back thousands of years. But we share this planet with humans, and I think it's okay for us to ask legitimate questions and and try to understand what we're seeing and why it's happening. And to say, "Mm, I don't want to live on a planet where this is acceptable under any circumstances.
2: Today's guest is activist Leanna Taylor, discussing the boundaries of anti-Semitism when discussing the nation state of Israel.
3: So. One of the things that has contributed to this moment, because this isn't just
2: all of a sudden he got on TV and said, from the river to the sea. There's been so many things that have happened before this where I've been like, "Mm, uh, Mm -hmm. that don't really seem, I mean, maybe I I don't want to hurt nobody's feelings, you know, but that don't really seem. One of the things
3: that, happened prior to this was they came across a bit of information and turns out that in a lot of states there's
2: language written into state contracts, something like this. Somehow or other, Mm -hmm. you cannot engage in business with the state without signing paperwork that has a clause in it somewhere that says you cannot protest the state of Israel. You
4: can't boycott. Boycott.
2: That's it. You can't boycott the state of Israel. And I have to imagine that that language was written into these contracts prior to October 7th.
4: It was in the early 2000s.
2: And so that felt like has there been a plan this whole time? You know, I don't, I'm not, I try not to give in to conspiracy theories. It's just, I feel like it's beneath me. I like to think of myself as being critical of everything. However, as a human, I know that I'm not immune to propaganda. Okay? Yeah. But if they put that in there in the early 2000s, in American contracts where we're allies, the, only, the logical conclusion in my mind is that at some point, Israel was going to bust a move that a lot of the people on the ground might not agree with. Otherwise, why would they do that very singular specific maneuver on the state level? You know, it just felt a little weird. And then so that's one of the things that's sort of uh that that took root and 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 was in my mind firmly prior to him saying on the news, we have to control Palestine from the river to the sea. So I know that you and I had a conversation about that um around the time when it was making news that it was in, I don't, I forget how many states it was, but what, how did that hit you?
4: I mean, I think it just goes to show the, the bias that we do all have, right? When we have different rules for certain countries over others, that's a bias and it's deeply embedded in the American culture. Um, I think a lot of it stems from the guilt and shame of the US for not getting engaged in World War II sooner. And the 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 commitment that this country has had to right their wrongs at all costs.
2: Their wrongs to Jewish people? That's right. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know why I asked that question? Because there's some other wrongs that this country chooses. Oh, to we
4: per <laughs> and, and not only to turn a blind eye to, but to perpetrate on the daily, right? We are Certainly a country with, without, um, I mean, we have, yeah, we've got a long, long history of being on the wrong side of many, many issues. And with this one, it feels like there was a, a a correction that happened that we really haven't seen the U.S. do with other countries or with other, you know, populations of people. Um, and it's it's a stark contrast. I mean, there is literally no other country listed that you are allowed to that you are prohibited from boycotting. Mm. There is language around countries that you can't support, right? It's you know, all the the um credit agencies and financial agencies require you to sign attestations about not doing business with Iran. But the only country listed that you are not allowed to boycott as a business is Israel. It is interesting. I don't really have an opinion per se on, you know, how all of that came to be because I don't know enough, but I just, I do know that that I think goes to show how deep this goes mm. into the fabric of our very you know country and our belief systems and so when we're looking at these and we're looking at at the this conflict you know there's a massive implicit bias and it exists throughout all of our government agencies all of our media outlets and again why we have to question that what we're seeing and what we're with our eyes visually from a videos and things that are happening on the ground versus what we're reading there's a disconnect. There's a disparity. Sure. That's problematic. It's really problematic.
2: You know, there's there's some you
3: mentioned the fabric of our society. There's another thing that I feel we should mention. And and, and that's that you know, freedom of speech
2: theoretically is woven into the fabric of our society.
4: Which, as we've been saying over and over through, you know, even more so since 2020 is not freedom from consequences, for your words, right? And there are a lot of people in this country that face consequences for their words and a lot of people who don't. Mm. (laughs) Um, But those two things can be true.
2: Sure. So it's just interesting to to see that there are like official... Governmental documents that limit your capacity to, and it's not even really sp- like it's a boycott is withholding doing business with someone, and I, I feel like that would fall under protected speech. And so to to see that limited in an official capacity feels
3: feels strange. But you know what? This isn't really the only thing here. So I saw this video and I like this video because I
2: think it really summed up how I was feeling in the moment. So again, to recap, when I first had a conversation, this was a couple of days after October 7th. Um, I spoke with Ami Horowitz and his mom, believe it or not. And. You know, they were explaining how the not the Palestinian people, but the, the Hamas people and how they how they regarded all Jewish people This is what they were telling me. And they were saying that in Palestine, they were teaching the students that Jewish people were like roaches. And so they wouldn't have to feel any remorse if they took the life of a Jewish person. And I don't know that that's true or not true. This is just what I heard from Ami's mother.
3: And then later, I heard exact same thing from the
2: Palestinian side. that the, the Jewish children in their schools were taught that Uh, Palestinians were a lower life form and you know so that way they they people in the
4: right-wing Netanyahu government call them dogs right right right, right. I mean that's not um that's not made up Yep. yep. it's right there on national television
2: exactly exactly so no shame so with this in mind I started to recognize that oh this is a lot deeper Mm -hmm. than I originally knew because prior to the the initial attack from Hamas, which was an well, awful, the initial
4: attack that set off this set off this, of this specific yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Prior to that, I didn't even i had never even heard the word Hamas. I'm mm-hmm. dealing with my own
4: yeah. You're problems. caught up in U.S. Yeah. politics, yeah. which is boy.
2: So, um,
4: not so pretty. Right.
2: Right. And I just, I'd never, I didn't even know that Jewish people had a problem with Palestinian people or otherwise it just didn't even, it wasn't even a thing.
4: I mean, right. Because again, like we are, we are on such an Island, I think in this country and so buffered both geographically and politically from having to think about other countries. Right. We really are alone on, on quite literally the Island of North America. It's quite like significant. So I just, I really quickly, I mean, I think before we turned on the microphones, um, and we're chatting, the biggest thing that we need to recognize in any of these conversations is that a a group of people is not monolithic. There are so many variations within countries. There are people with different belief systems, you know, does the United States Does every single person in this country, and you reference this in your in your video that you were, you know, hesitant to post, does the does Donald Trump or a right wing nationalist represent you or me because we're all Americans and share a nationality and a soil? Of course not. Does Hamas are they even monolithic? And do they represent all of the beliefs of a Palestinian people? Of course not. Does Benjamin Netanyahu's extreme right-wing government represent all of Israel and all Israelis? No, let alone Jewish people across the, the planet. Of course not. We can't reduce these conversations to this group or that group and then, and then make it sound as though they represent all of the people they just don't yeah so that's a a really i just wanted to kind of bring it back to that because it's so important for us to remember that and when we're watching two and a half million people getting the ever-loving ish like blown out of them with two thousand ton bombs That person does not represent necessarily the viewpoints of of an extremist group of people. I don't believe that I, me, should be persecuted or that I should be at risk of being bombed because of something a right-wing nationalist says or that Donald Trump says or that any politician or person says that I disagree with, right? We are not we should not be at risk because of something somebody else said. And we've got to believe that for other countries and other peoples as well.
2: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add this to what you're saying right here. Um, I saw a video. Uh, this might have been three or four days ago. And there was a gentleman in the video who did the math. Because this is a, a popular thing that uh, a lot of the, that's coming from Israel. That well, they voted for Hamas, and so no one is no one is um, innocent or right. something like that. Right? Yeah,
4: there are no innocent civilians. Right, right. Yeah. because
2: they voted for Hamas, and then um,
4: like, do a million children have the capability of voting? That's fifty so, percent of their population. Yeah.
2: So, so the, uh, there was a gentleman that actually did the math. And he, he went back and he's like, okay, so this was the last election in two thousand and six or something like that. Here's how many people voted for Hamas, and here's how many people didn't. Um, or how much of a percentage, and here's the population, and here, you know, so forth and so on. And then he broke it down. He's like, this certain number of people weren't even eligible to vote. They did not Mm -hmm. vote for Hamas. And then, uh, you know, broke it down even further. And it turns out that um, you could only go as high as 16% of the population. Mm -hmm. And that's as high as you could go uh, in terms of people who actually affected Hamas being uh, installed as the um the political framework for sure. palestine and so that means that there's 84 percent of people who are quote unquote uh uh what's the language i just said it that, that they're trying to say that no one is a, no
4: innocent civilians
2: yeah 84 yeah. percent that is not innocent however they had nothing to do with voting or Hamas and that's that's the the highest estimate And let's
4: take that again back to the United States. We have a voting block, a voting population where 49% voted for Donald Trump and 51% voted for Joe Biden. And there are people around the world right now watching Joe Biden and his decision to, you know, at least in public unilaterally support Israel and their decisions. Yeah. So 51% of American voters, right, which is still only a fraction of the population of the United States, voted for complicity in this, right? 49% or whatever, when Donald Trump was elected, again, so close, right? It was like 52% of the voting block. Does that mean that the rest of us have to own the decisions that the politicians are making that we are no longer innocent civilians? Yeah. Right? Is that, what, is that what we're saying? Yeah. Are we saying that as Americans, we are not innocent civilians because this percentage of our population voted this way? Of course not. We have got to separate this. We have to yeah. from the narrative.
2: This concludes part one of our two-part conversation with Leanna Taylor discussing the boundaries of anti-Semitism and discussing the nation state of Israel. Check back in with us tomorrow for part two, right here on the Black Information Network daily podcast.
4: Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.
0: The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there
1: every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso. I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of the New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.